Hebrews chapter 12. Again, it has been a blessing to be with you all. I'm so thankful for accommodations and food and all the preparations that went into that. I'm thankful even for the love offering there that you all have given tonight. That's a blessing to me. Um, it's just been a, a really good time for us uh, to be here as well and spend this time with you in fellowship and worship service together. Uh, it's just been my desire to preach uh, the Word of God to you. I pray it's been a blessing to you. Uh, if you will, notice with me verse 2, Hebrews 12. We looked last night at verse number 1 concerning this race of faith that we are running. And we left off there in verse 1. We'll take up with verse 2 today. The, the, the idea of the race is still in mind here. Paul's still speaking about us running here. When he's telling us to do what he says to do here in verse number 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Love this verse of Scripture. Um, particularly the idea of His joy. The idea of His joy. We, we have, Paul is, we've been looking here beginning in chapter 10 all the way through chapter number 12. Paul has been declaring to us our need for faith. That we would have faith in our Lord as we walk, as we serve Him, as we run this race that He's called us to, that we have to have faith. That faith comes by Him, as we've already looked at there in Ephesians chapter 2, we realize that faith is a gift from God given us. That without that faith, we don't have Him. Without that faith, we don't have no, no place before Him. It is by that faith that He's made known, that He's He's given us that, that belief in Him and what He has accomplished and what He has done for us. And so as we read already many times there in Ephesians 2, for by grace are you saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. It's, it is a gift from Him. And Paul says we have to have it if we're going to run this race. If we're going to walk the walk that God has given us to have, that we're going to have to have that faith. But our, our faith, again, he gives us the example there in chapter 11 that we looked at the other night, all of those names, all of those stories, and we can see their faithfulness in their walk, in their service to the Lord. And again, we can, be, we can see those and, and we, can, we can be uh, maybe inspired by their faithfulness in those times and in their particular stories. But when we are running the race, our faith is to be fixed upon our Lord Jesus. He's, he is, as Paul de describes him here, the author of our faith. He's the one that has given it to us. He is the one that has provided it for us. It is a gift from Him. It is a gift that He has worked for us. It's not something we have worked in ourselves. 
It's not something we can drum up in ourselves. It is worked by our Lord, given us by our Lord. He is the author of it, and He is the keeper of it, as we've already looked at there in John chapter 10. He describes that very clearly there, verse 28 through verse number 30, that He is the one that keeps us in Himself. By His grace, He keeps His people. He will not let us go. He, he declares there in John chapter 6, all that the Father giveth me will come unto me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast them out. And he also says there in John chapter 6, I will lose nothing. I will lose nothing. So all that are His, all that He died for, as we were talking about right there at the beginning of the before service started, all that He died for, all that He shed His blood for on the cross, all that He was conscious of, of His children while hanging in our place on the cross, He will lose none of them. None. He keeps us. So He is the author of our faith. He is the finisher of our faith. He's the one that keeps it. He is the one that will complete it in us. He's the one that will bring it to fruition, the fullness of our faith when we are at last in His presence, when there will no longer be a need for faith. He will be the one that finishes it, you see. When we are at last there in His presence before Him. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, again, he gives us these examples here in chapter 11 of these many that he has declared concerning their faith. He gives us this list, tells us about their faithfulness in their day and their time. And these folks, they show characteristics of faith. They show what faith is produced in them, you see. But Jesus doesn't show characteristics of faith. He is faith. He's the author and finisher of it, you see. He, he doesn't show characteristics of faith. He is the one that gives it unto us, His people. And so, He is the author. He is the finisher of our faith. He is the one that we are to be looking on as we run this race. Now, there are those that try to make Him author and have no problem with Him being the author of their faith, but they try to take the finishing on for themselves. We don't have any power to finish it. <laughs> we don't have any power to finish it. He is both the author and the finisher. He keeps us. He works in us. He will accomplish all that He is set to accomplish in us. He will lose nothing. He will lose nothing. So, He is our example. And we, we read Him, not only did He run the race, that is before us. But he run the race in the, in the sense that it was the most difficult one to be run. So that you and I 
don't have to run that part of it. We still have to run the course. We still have obstacles in our path as we go. But without Him before us, there's nothing for us to run. There's no path for us to follow, you see. He has run the race before us, and He run the most difficult one, and He did so without wavering and without sin. He ran that race perfectly. He ran that race in all righteousness, you see. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15, Paul writes here in this passage concerning our Lord's place as our great high priest. Paul speaks of him in our text there, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and he tells us here in verse 15 of chapter 4, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He endured all the same, same temptations. He endured all the same things that you and I would face. He knows exactly what it's like for us to go through those things. He knows exactly what it's like for us to experience those trials. He knows exactly what it's like for us to go through those temptations. And He went through every single one of them and He did it perfectly. There are those that are trying to teach today that are calling themselves Christians, they are trying to teach today that, well, Jesus, He wasn't perfect either. He sinned as well. It's blasphemy. That's exactly what it is. And they, they have no right calling themselves a Christian, nor do they have right calling themselves a child of God and demeaning the very one who gave His life to redeem us unto Himself. He did so perfectly. Listen, if He sinned, you and I are yet in our sins. If He has failed in the race that He run, then you and I do not have salvation. It is a requirement, you see, that Christ Jesus do so, live that perfect sinless life to fulfill the law of God. It is a requirement that He do so in our stead, or we don't have salvation. It is a requirement, and He did it. The Scriptures declare He did it. It was proved He did it when He came forth out of the grave. Paul says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. You have those temptations come up in your life, those things that rise in your heart, those things that rise up in your head. And, and listen, Satan knows your weaknesses. He's been around long enough. He don't know all things, but he's been around long enough he can see them. He, he can see what's going on. He can see, he can see where we are weak the most. And that's where that's the things he throws up in front of us. He knows what he knows what gets our attention. He knows what stirs in our hearts. And he'll throw those those same temptations up in front of us. Remember when those temptations rise in you? 
our Lord faced them. And He went through them. And He did so without sin. He can lead you through them as well. He's provided, He says, He's provided a way out of those temptations for us if we'll hold to Him. If we'll look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's run that race perfectly. Perfectly. Now notice here again, verse 2, He says, He looked unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy? Who for the joy? What was this joy? I've heard some say that the joy was the cross itself. And that's not what it says here. It says he endured it because of the joy. He, he prayed concerning the cross that, that he, this was something that was going to cause him great turmoil. This was something, and he tells us right here, even in this passage, that was going to cause him great shame. You see. He endured or despised, endured the cross, despised the shame. It wasn't the cross that was his joy. What was his joy? Three things Scripture tells us that I believe make up this joy. Three things. Go back to John chapter 17. John chapter number 17. This is our Lord's high priestly prayer. You hear people sometimes quote Matthew chapter 6 and say, let's say the Lord's Prayer. That's the model prayer. It's not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is recorded for us here in John 17. Look here in this passage. This is the night before His arrest, or the night, I should say the night of His arrest, before His crucifixion. He is teaching His disciples here. He's, he's taking the the last Passover with them. He institutes the Lord's Supper here with them. He washes their feet there in John chapter 13. He tells them of his death and his going away from them and his coming again there in chapter 14. Chapter 15, he tells them why it's so necessary that we as his children hang on to him, that we have to be in him, that we have to have him, that we cannot do this life, we cannot run this race without the presence of our Lord. Chapter 16, he tells us concerning the, the Spirit and the coming of the Spirit. It says that as well in chapter 14, that He's going to be the one who lead us and guide us into all truth. And they go into the garden, He prays there, and while here we have this prayer recorded in chapter number 17 here, His high priestly prayer. He prays for those that are with Him there. And he prays for those that are with him here. I love this prayer. Because I can read through this prayer and see where my Lord prayed for me. I can see where he prayed for me. See. Here in John 17 we find a couple of these examples of what his joy is. 
John 17 verse 1, he says, And these words spake Jesus, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify thou me in thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Well, those parts of his joy was his own glorification. That he was going to be glorified with the Father again. That he was going to take that back on himself. He had laid it aside to come into this world and take upon himself the likeness of sinful flesh and dwell among us and, and live that perfect sinless life to earn for us righteousness and there in our place go to the cross of Calvary, give himself there on that cross, take our sin upon himself there, bear it and pay for it there for us that he might in return give unto us his righteousness. It lay aside that glory to do that very work. And he's praying, I'm going to get to have it again. Glorify thou, son, that thy son may also glorify thee. And so I think that's part of his joy that he's describing here who for the joy that was set before him. In John chapter 15, we see another one, I believe, in verse 8, down through verse number 11 of John chapter 15, another part of that glory. And he alludes to it there as well in, in, in John 17, and that is the glorification of his Father. That was our Lord's chief purpose, by the way. And everything he did in his ministry and everything he did in his life, it was to glorify his Father in heaven. And everything, that was his purpose. My friends, that is to be our purpose as well. That is our chief end, to glorify our Father in heaven. That's what we're to be about, you see, is bringing him glory. John 15, verse number 8, he says here, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Glorify the Father. I believe that's a part of that joy. But I think the biggest part of the joy that Paul is alluding to, that he's referencing here, is what we find again in John 17 and verse number 2 and verse 3, verse 6, and verse 24 down through verse number 26. Notice what he says here in, in verse 2. He says, As thou hast given power, Given, uh, given him power rather over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. 
Verse 6, he says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Verse number 24, down through verse 26, he says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee but I have known thee and these have known that thou hast sent me and I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. This, I believe, the chief part or the chief point of his joy that was set before him was the salvation of all those the Father had given him. This, this was his purpose when he came he made mention of it several times during his ministry when they presented him with different things, when they were seeking him, Lord, when are you going to, when are you going to start your kingdom? When are you going to get rid of these Romans? When are you going to take over? Lord, when are you going to take your kingdom? Lord, when are you going to do this work here and this work there? Won't you perform a miracle here and won't you perform a miracle there? And his point was always, it's not yet my hour. It's not yet my My hour. There's still some things I've got to do. My hour is set. When that hour comes, I'll do this work that has given me to do. This is his chief thing, you see, as far as the work was concerned, was to go to the cross for all of his people. And he says again, John chapter 6, I made mention of the verse just a moment ago, but he says here in John chapter 6, Verse number 35, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I am come down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Then he goes on to say, verse 44, all, the only way we can do that that he's describing there, the only way we can believe on him, the only way we can look to him, the only way we can trust him, the only way we can, we can believe on what he has accomplished for us is that the Father draws us to him. No man, he says, can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. This is his joy right here. That all those that the Father had given him, he's paid for. It's done. That, that was the joy. And for that joy, he gladly endured that cross. For that joy, he readily went to that hour for us to pay for our sin, to take that upon himself for us. 
That was that joy. That joy that was set before him. The salvation of his people. He tells us that he has loved us with an everlasting love. An everlasting love. He, at Ephesians, rather, chapter 1, verse number 4. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. Paul describes here in Ephesians chapter 1 God's working on our behalf before we were ever born before anybody else was ever born before Adam was ever made before anything else was ever made when he was alone in glory God chose his people unto himself. Now, he has given us a time stamp so that we can have some kind of reference that we're able to understand. So our, our finite mind can some way grasp what he is telling us. But the reality is because my God is omniscient, because he knows all things. My name and your name are eternal in his mind. We're given a time stamp that he, he elected or that he chose us. But because of who he is, we know there was never a time that he actually sat down and said, okay, this one and not this one, this one and not this. That's not the way. He's always known us. And that's remarkable to me. Why? Why me? Why, why would he, why 2,000 years removed from my Lord? In eternity removed from his knowledge. Yet he knew me. Not only did he know me, but then he makes everything. He sets it in order. He, he puts it in place and then He, he begins to, to work through time to get to my time when I am. And He literally, listen now, if you're a child of God today, our Lord has literally worked all of history to bring to you the Gospel of Christ Jesus. All of history to put you where you needed to be to hear the gospel proclaim that the Spirit make it real in your heart that you would know Christ Jesus as Lord. All of history worked to bring to pass grace in you. I can't fathom that. I can't understand that. It's too great for me to try to fix in my mind. But it's what my Lord has done. That was His joy. That was His joy. To redeem me. This is what He says here in verse 4. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. 
that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. To the praise of the glory of His grace wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Accepted or graced in the Beloved. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. This is the joy that was set before my Lord, that He would endure the cross on my behalf. The captain of our faith, our Savior, our King, went to His hour knowing full well the outcome ordained, knowing exactly what He would endure in that time. He was mocked, he was beaten. He was scourged. They plucked the beard from his face. They nailed him to a cross. They gambled over his clothing. They reviled against him. They spat upon him. They drove the crown of thorns upon his head. And there he died. They pierced his side. And he was buried in the ground. And that's what man did to him. In Isaiah chapter 53, we read here, Isaiah writes for us what the Father did to him. Here he describes what he endured from his Father. This, by the way, what he endured from his father, that is what paid for our sins. Roman nails didn't do it. The Roman scourging didn't do it. The Roman crown of thorns didn't do it. The people crying crucified didn't do it. That's not what paid for it. It was what the father did to him is what paid for my sins and your sins. Isaiah 53 describes this for us. Isaiah writes, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It is what his father did to him that paid for your sin. It is what his father did to him that paid for my sin. And it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. How can he see his seed except he be resurrected? He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. When was that satisfaction complete? Christ Jesus hung there on the cross and said, It is finished. It is finished. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he had poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Verse 11 again, he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. That word knowledge is the same as in the, in the New Testament as foreknowledge. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. That's the joy that was set before him. Our Lord endured the cross. He despised the shame in order to make the payment for you and I. That we might be redeemed. That we might receive his righteousness. That we might be made the children of God in him. He was dead. He was buried. But again, he did not stay in that grave. But he came out. Three days and three nights later, he came out of that grave. Alive. And is now ascended, as he tells us here in our text, to the right hand of the throne of God. And there he is interceding for us at the right hand of our Lord. 
fulfilling fulfilling his joy in us. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He has accomplished this for us. The author and finisher of our faith. He has accomplished that. That we would have faith. That we would have righteousness. That we would have life in Him. He has accomplished that. He has endured that. Because He wanted to and because He loved us. Those are the only two reasons you find in the Scripture. He wanted to and He loved us. And that love for us gave Him joy to go to the cross for us. That love for you gave Him joy to go to the cross for you. Look unto Jesus. Look unto Jesus, the author, finisher of our faith. Look unto Him. He is the only hope of salvation. He is the only way peace with God. He is the only way of righteousness for the sinner. He is the only way of eternal life in His presence. You must have Jesus. Look unto Him. Author. Finisher of our faith. Brother Don, would you come?